Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Welcome to Storytime, factual fictions and fictional facts about growing up in the South in the 1970s from the creator of the What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast. Storytime features recollections, remembrances, and downright artificial realities drawn from the memory of an expatriate Southerner trying to find just one thing he can talk about and not disappoint his mama. You can guess he's probably going to fail. But still, y'all stay tuned now, you hear? Hey, if you are really into stories like you're about to hear today, you can tune into so many great podcasts on so many great networks, none of which I'm actually a part of, but I, I really encourage you to look them out. Uh, the Moth, The Stranger, um, both of those things sound like science fiction stories, that's weird. But there are a lot of great storytelling podcasts out there, and listen to them, because this one going to kind of suck. There are two great religions in the South. Now, I'm not talking denominations. We've got so many of those, the signs in front of the churches had to go solar just to keep the cost down. But the two great faiths, worn for the immortal soul of Southerners, are Jesus and football. Now, these days, I'm not a fan of either. But when I was a boy, Jesus had the ups. I mean, Jesus was winning hands down. People went to church on Sunday... No excuses. Even if you died on Saturday, someone had best wheel your corpse into church on Sunday before they took you to the funeral home. The only acceptable reason for missing church was, no, there just wasn't one. You went. The very idea of choosing church over football was simply not an option. Now, of course, this was southeastern Tennessee in the 1970s, and football wasn't played on Sunday... I mean, yes, well, it was played on Sunday because professional football. But that's the thing right there. No one in Tennessee watched professional football. They worshipped on Saturday because that is when the University of Tennessee Volunteers played. Now, a few heretics, because of geography or family ties, rooted for the University of Georgia's Bulldogs. But those people were basically Catholics damned by their own choice. And where I was at, being just 50 or so miles south of Nyland Stadium or Rocky Top, for one day a week, the Vols were much bigger than Jesus. Jesus, after all, had been in heaven for 2,000 years, and the Vols played every weekend in the fall. And while Jesus would forgive, a losing season was not forgivable. And while Jesus pulled off some miracles in his day, he hadn't pulled off a fourth down conversion late in the fourth quarter, leading to a come-from-behind win. And this was way more impressive than turning water into wine, which no good Southern Baptist would drink anyway if anyone was watching. It should come as no surprise that preachers picked up on the football further of the faithful. 
a sharp pastor could open a sermon with a reference to Coach Battle, who was the head coach of the UT Vols at the time, and how he'd brought the offensive line together the same way Jesus brought the disciples together. And when the team was doing well, the Lord was with them, and when they were down, well, someone there just wasn't right with the Lord. Just like someone in the congregation might not be right with the Lord right now. Maybe the field goal kicker of your heart is missing on short yardage and the only way you can make your points is to put the ball of your soul between the uprights of the Lord's love. <laughs> oh, I could pull that stuff off. I know. I know. I come from a long line of Baptist preachers. And that right there, friends, would have brought grown men to their knees. It was a powerful message to the good people of the church. I I personally witnessed grown men wearing their Sunday best, set off only by a neon orange tie, the colors of the UT Vols, rise, tears streaming down their cheeks to go get their their souls right after one of the pastor's locker room sermons, sometimes three and four of them at the time, would rise up, to kneel down while the preacher stood above them, his arms raised above his head in the universal symbol for a touchdown and the welcoming arms of the Lord. Of course, this was the 1970s and professional football in that part of Tennessee wasn't what it is today. I mean, the only local pro team at the time was the Atlanta Falcons and the Falcons kind of sucked. There just weren't any teams south of the Mason-Dixon and east of the Mississippi, except for the Miami Dolphins. And Miami was not then, nor is it now, part of the South. Geography aside, Miami is just too full of people, not properly considered Southern, and many of them only spoke Spanish, which meant that they were foreigners, so there was just no way anyone was going to root for a team from a city full of foreigners. And then Tampa Bay got the Buccaneers, which is a bit more Southern, but the only team that they could beat was, well, the Atlanta Falcons. Today, you've got the Panthers just over the border in North Carolina. The Jaguars are in Jacksonville, a much more Southern city in Florida than Miami or Tampa Bay. And praise the Lord, you've got the Titans in Nashville. An NFL team right there in Tennessee Truly, his works are wondrous and mysterious because not only are they local, they were kind of good. Of course, today with cable and satellite dishes falling small enough to fit on the roof of your trailer, you've got pretty much every game in the country right there at your fingertips. You can watch and cheer for a team from such faraway places as Washington, D.C. or Dallas without shame, at least, you know, if nobody knows about it. The world got smaller, the teams got bigger, and all of a sudden, Jesus didn't have the same draw he did 30 years ago. Where Sundays used to be for the Lord, now Sundays are for football. You might imagine this is a problem for some of the older, more conservative churches in the South. The once cozy relationship between the pigskin and the gospel has gotten a bit strange. Yeah, the games don't technically start until after church is officially done, But the true believer knows that the singing is just important as the sermon, so they've got to be there for the pregame shows in the morning. Plus, these chicken wings just ain't going to cook themselves. For a real football fan, the game is just as much a powerful spiritual force, if not more so, than a church service. They know in their hearts, in their soul, God is with their team, and the devil is rooting 
for whomever they happen to be playing that week. If the church has a pastor leading his flock into the promised land, then is not the quarterback leading his team into the end zone the same thing? And while the second coming is probably a long way off, the final score is just three hours away, not counting commercial breaks and overtime. So how does Jesus compete with a well-funded marketing arm of the NFL? Well, I hear a lot of churches have taken the if-you-can't-beat-em-join-em approach on big game days and particularly the playoffs. Services start earlier and in sooner so folks can get back home in time for kickoff. Where once services include metaphors, now the pastors openly pray for a team, beseeching the Lord to grant us victory this day and take us on to the Super Bowl this year. I've even heard of preachers wearing team jerseys and having pre-game shows between the singing and the service. And if the church has adopted pro football, then pro football has always been taken with Christ. Jesus is so thick on the ground during a football game, I expect to see him on the sideline, his cross propped against the Gatorade jugs, wearing a headset and screaming at officials, What? What? Do you need me to come over there and give sight to the blind? Jesus Christ, that was pass interference! Pass interference! And the players are hit, hit their knees so hard in the end zone, they're wearing divots in the astroturfs. I mean, we've got quarterbacks so busy praying when they should be playing, they might as well have a gospel in the huddle. And Jesus knows you get to the bowl on skills, not miracles. That's why I took Manny to the Super Bowl, and Tim Tebow can't get a job. It's really all about capacity. I mean, these days, a major stadium is always going to pack more of a crowd than any church. It comes down to numbers and... On the numbers, the churches of the South are going to have to change, and change quick. People are only showing up in the service after the playoffs, asking Jesus why their guy threw that fumble in the last two minutes that cost them the game. If things don't change, the day will come where you will no longer have churches of one doctrine or denomination, but team affiliations. Where once there were Baptist or Methodist, you'll have a Titan church, a Panther parish, or a Falcon assembly. The singing will be the team's fight songs, and the pastor will stand up and sing the praises of football, all the while trying to slip in something relevant about the Lord. Now, I don't think there's a problem with that, because to me it's all about the same thing, but I guess if if you're looking for an upside, if you're looking for something that's going to make you feel good about the state of religion and football, I guess you can say if football wins out over traditional religion will finally get white people and black people in the same church. Somehow Jesus could never pull that off. I guess it's the works of the NFL that are wondrous and mysterious in their ways. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, that's it for the inaugural episode of Storytime. Um, I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that I have not terribly disappointed my mama, because I'm going to post this one on Facebook, because I don't think I cursed this entire time, which is important to her, and you shouldn't curse, because your mama would be very disappointed in you. 
Um, tune in next time. I don't know when there'll be another one, although I do have a stack of these things piled up someplace. Um, and uh, if you uh, want to hear something a bit more meaty or a bit angrier, tune in to the What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast. You can find it and Storytime at the Hell underscore podcast or on Facebook at What the Hell Podcast or www.whatthehellpodcast.com. Uh, until then, uh, I'm just going to play this banjo music because I kind of like it and I think it's going to be the story time thing. You can find it. Oh, Jesus, what is the name of this band? I'm never going to be able to pronounce this. Hold on. It is called Rolin de los Bosques. I'll just include a link in the hyperlink. Um, that people will see that word. Is that Spanish? Is it French? I don't know. But that's good bluegrass. 